0: Hello. This is Matt Hines. This is the Triple Bottom Line podcast. I'm going to have a great opportunity tomorrow to participate in a panel um, as part of the uh, Delaware Farm and Food Policy Council uh, annual seminar. Uh, I'm really excited to be ha- have the opportunity to do this. Um, this is going to be a uh, Well, I'll tell you, I'll read from the brochure what it exactly is. Uh, This is, uh, over three days, participants will engage in discussions about food security in Delaware. Building each day, topics will span from current food access challenges and programs to address them, to ways that we can incorporate specific lessons from emergency responses to build lasting resiliency. Each year, the council hosts this seminar to network with local and regional partners, share knowledge and experiences, and to build on important initiatives. While this year's seminar will take place virtually, council members are looking forward to offering a diverse format to include guest speakers, panel discussions, questions and answer, and polls. So uh, starting today actually goes from like 10 till, or goes from nine Eastern to uh, like 11. And, uh, you know, represented on here will be, uh, well, they're giving project updates today on policy making, youth change making presentations from 4-H students, We have a guest speaker from Johns Hopkins Food Policy panel discussion on insights from the producer, retail, restaurant, and charitable food perspectives, and that's all today. Tomorrow, it's going to be uh, the whole theme of the day is planning and policy, lessons during COVID. So first, it's going to be panel discussions on circumstances before covid and federal and state responses during the pandemic. Then it's gonna be a panel discussion on policy and practice at the community level. And then lastly, this is the one I'm participating in, it's a panel discussion on adaptations as food producers. Um, and the third day is gonna be uh, planning beyond an emergency. And this is where a town hall discussion on policy strategies and solutions during the past year, community, local, and county levels. Then there's going to be guest speakers from Delaware's emergency management agency on emergency preparedness plans and the role of securing food access. And then lastly, there's going to be a group discussion on a state food resilience plan incorporating specific insights from multiple sectors. So This is all really great stuff. Um, I want to, so so the Delaware Council on Food and Farm Policy, um, they are, uh, they advise the Secretary of Agriculture on matters that shape food policy and sustain food security in the state of Delaware. Um, They are striving, as they say, to facilitate and support a food system where local farmers can access viable markets. All Delawareans can access resources needed to circumvent challenges associated with securing nutritious and local food options and where vulnerabilities within our communities can be diminished. So, you know, this is all good stuff here. And, um, <clears throat> Let me read next the questions that I'm going to be asked it with within this context, and then I'll answer those questions ahead of time here. Uh, so the questions are: uh, they want us to give them a quick overview of our farming operation, including whether we work directly with the public, and tell us how the pandemic impacted this. Second what were some adaptations and or innovations that we implemented as a result of the pandemic? Third, uh, the question is will you continue any of the adaptations or innovations into the future? Fourthly, uh, are there federal state policy changes that we would recommend to increase your ability to better respond to emergency circumstances? And lastly, if there is another pandemic in the future, what will we do? What have we learned during the COVID crisis? These unprecedented times. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at people's misery, but the framing of this in in this context, you'll see in a minute why I think it's a little bit funny to me. So the crayons Hill Farm, it's part of... Uh, 501c3 Omnia Humanitas, which leases 13 acres of the Crayons property on New London in New London Road in Newark, um, which is uh, it leases it from the state, uh, and this is part of the White Clay Creek State Park network. We grow. Um, we have a diversified growing operation on three acres, and um, in the historic barn on the property. That's where our CSA pickup location, our seasonal in-person market is located, and it's also where we do a lot of our processing and storing. In uh, December of 2019, farm manager John Detweiler for the first time implemented an online uh, market system where people could place orders online for pickup or delivery and we would pack a box for them. Uh, that was a really fortunate decision because when we couldn't open the in-person market in April of 2020, uh, we had that online system. We were actually able to get the in-person market back up and running without too much difficulty in July, um, but the online market got us through the, the hump there. Um, and, and actually, you know, <laughs> we doubled our sales from 2019 to 2020. And I think this was due to mostly a groundswell of interest in localized, regionalized food systems um, by consumers um, and people who really did want to get to know their local farmer. Um, So as far as adaptations, we you know, we had to meet this doubled demand. So we had to hire more people. Um, but as we hired more people and we trained those people and we built continuity in our day to day operations, we saw people power. We saw just like how much we could do when we had more people around to do the work. And because we were so impressed by that, um, you know, this year we've now. We're now investing more in labor than we ever have. We're investing more in our workers than we ever have. Um, And it really helps that we have a ton of people, really talented people coming to us and asking for a job. They want to be a part of this, what we're doing. They want to be part of building a local food system, a regionalized food system. They want to work for their local farm and get their hands dirty here. Um, and not only people that want a job, but people who are willing to volunteer for us. We've had a steady stream of volunteers um, all through last year, through the winter months, and into the spring now. Uh, and we set goals every month, and we've pretty much accomplished all of the goals every single month exceeding our own expectations and growing faster than we ever thought we could because of how much amazing help we're getting. So it's people power. And into the future, I hope that we can continue to hire more people. um, And I hope that we keep getting more volunteers. But I think this depends on whether or not this interest in localized food systems by consumers um, and by workers, is is it just a flash in the pan? Is this just something that you know in a would a, a crisis people were thinking more about this? But if things get comfy again, they're going to forget about. Um, I really hope not. Uh, I really hope that the way that we're doing things becomes the status quo, and that. Um, big box multinationals like uh, Food Lion, there's no use for them anymore. As far as policy recommendations um, to respond um, as the question is asking to quote emergency circumstances. Yeah, I think it's really important context to remember that we have 25% of people in New Castle County living in poverty. It's therefore reasonable to assume that these people were also, are also food insecure. And this was before the pandemic. I don't know what the stats are now. It's probably a little bit worse, but you know, for them, there was already an emergency. If you're a food system advocate, if you're a uh, food justice advocate, then there was already an emergency. What we're doing has been ongoing. Um, and so for policy recommendations, um, anything for like, first of all, what I see to help local farmers in terms of like grants, a lot of the times it's in building infrastructure. Um, and that's great, but, you know, really with the biggest limiting factor for us to grow, to not only meet the demands of people, who have the means to afford our products at the current moment, but also those who do not, those 25% of impoverished um, residents of the county, um, in order to serve them, the biggest limiting factor to our growth in doing that is that we don't have enough money to hire more people. We have really taken a risk this year in the amount of investment that we're making in our workers and our margins are razor thin. Um, So something like what I've, I've seen in Boston, where they have a summer work youth summer youth work program, where they basically pay kids to work for local businesses and organizations, anything that could help us to, to basically pay workers to work for us. That's, that's what I want to see or to help us to increase our wages. Um, That would be really transformative. Um, Now, though, I will say that, especially from the state level, but also on the federal level, unless we fix our revenue mechanisms, unless we fix our tax code, all of this is like pointless to talk about because you could always say like, oh, well, how are you going to pay for that? We, we don't have, you know, we don't have money. So basically I advocate for wealth taxes. Uh, we should be taxing wealth. We don't even need a business tax. We don't need all these other different kinds of tax. We just need a wealth tax and it should be at a graduated rate. And there's a way to do that where you would generate double the amount of revenue that we currently do. And taxes would decrease for like 95% of people. Uh, The state of Delaware is a tax haven. We let multinational corporations like food lion come up in here tax free. They don't give anything back to our infrastructure. Uh, And then so, so like, the state It's pointless to ask anything of the state of Delaware until they fix that. Um, but at the federal level though, assuming we fix, if, assuming we actually do fund programs that are transformative for the food system, uh, they should be addressing poverty more broadly. And there's so many different things you can do. Um, you could do an infrastructure bill. Just much like the one that was proposed back in April, but what I would add to that is uh, I want to see something for the food system in there as well. Um, You can do Medicare for all. You could do a universal basic income. You could do uh, robust um, education spending to help rebuild what is basically non-existent public school Um, system in the state of Delaware regardless though of what you do it should be within a triple bottom line decision-making framework and it should be a regionalist approach. Regionalist in that the federal monies should go to support regions and support communities so that they can be more economically resilient Uh, And then, you know, lastly, uh, if there's another pandemic, there's going to be another pandemic. And again, it just doesn't matter, pandemic or not, as long as there's poverty, there's going to be food insecurity. And as long as there's food insecurity, we've got a lot of work to do. So, um, you know, and, and what I've learned from the COVID crisis is the value of the worker the ones whose hands and whose minds produce the goods and do the services that make our communities run on a day-to-day basis are the ones that we should be valuing. And right now they are greatly undervalued. Many of them don't even make a living wage. Um, So we need to advocate, we need to come together as working people and advocate for ourselves. Um, And We need to demand that we get more from our small number of wealthy, super elite, wealthy families that hold most of the wealth. Um, So I'm advocating for reforms that are going to pop those bubbles and make it rain on our communities in need.